Glad you guys are here this morning. Um, just you get extra brownie points for coming in in this kind of weather, so it's a big deal. Uh, we're back in our series through Luke this morning, and as you as we think about where we've been, it's important to kind of keep it all in because this is all one big context. Luke has been writing and speaking to Theophilus and trying to convince him of who Jesus was and what Jesus had come to do. And his purpose really is very apologetic. He's seeking to give answers that Theophilus seems to be asking. Now, we don't get to hear the questions. We don't get to hear him asking those questions. But over and over and over, Luke is going to the sources and he's saying to the, he's learning from the eyewitnesses and he's conveying this information to Theophilus and he's saying that this is important for you to know, that you can be confident, that you can be certain in life. And so he's answering these questions and, and as I thought about that this week, as, as I thought about how Luke seems to be answering questions that Theophilus is asking, I just, I, it, it dawned on me, I don't think we're asking the same questions anymore. I mean, I, I don't think that, that we're asking the same kind of questions that Theophilus was, at least in, in large part, in, by and large in our culture, in our perspectives. Even as Christians, I think sometimes we have, have, have quit asking these vitally important questions. In fact, as you think about where we're at in our calendar year, we're at a point in time where we take stock, right? We, we stop and we slow down and we think about what, what's going on in our lives and how our lives could be better and what we could do to fix things. And we start asking questions. We ask questions like, how do I get out of debt? You know, how, how, do, I, how do I look at this next year and think, I'm going to start striving to get out of debt? We, we look at our relationships and maybe, maybe you have kids. How do I raise my kids? How do I fix my marriage? How do I get along with my spouse? How do I find a spouse? How, how do I be happy? And we ask these kind of questions and it seems like this is a perfect time of year. Maybe we do it on our birthdays and other significant events. Whenever, whenever we lose someone that's special to us or, or something happens that makes us consider life, we stop and we begin to ask questions. And sometimes we really push deep, right? It was not just questions about our circumstances. We seek to answer questions that are important. We want to know those important questions to answer. We, we, we look for it. We think about it. And as I studied this week and as I researched, one of the most important questions that's put out there today, and one that's what's agreed upon by a lot of people about the most important question you can answer, at least from a self-help perspective, is what are you willing to suffer for? What are you willing to struggle for? So Mark Manson, he's a self-help guru. I don't know what else to call him. He's self-proclaimed self-helper, and he seems to have the answers that people are looking for, and he starts with this question. He says, the most important question is, what are you willing to struggle for? And he, he writes this. He, he says, if I ask you, what do you want out of life? And you say something like, I, I want to be happy and have a great family and a job I like. It's so ubiquitous and, and that it doesn't mean anything. A more interesting question, he writes, a, a question that perhaps you've never considered before is, what pain do you want in your life? What are you willing to struggle for? Because that seems to be a greater determinant of how our lives turn out. Now, I'm not saying he's wrong. I think he's he's starting at the wrong place. In their most recent issue, Philosophy Now, that's a magazine that's put out that that, people get together and philosophize and and make themselves feel smart. They, They posted this as their question of the month, and they asked for 
people to write in on it. And the, some of the responses they got about the most important questions that people ask today are why? It's simply why. Like, why is this happening? Why, why are we here? What, why? Another person said simply how. Like, we, we can know, we, we, we can know, uh, we can accomplish things if we know how to do them when we don't need to know the why. We just need to know the how. So they determined that that was the best question to ask. Another person wrote in, how can, I, how can we best serve others? This was Martin Luther King's idea, Martin Luther King Jr.'s idea of, of the most important question. How, to, how can we best serve others? How, what are we doing to serve one another? And this person picked up on that and, and, and asked. He believes that's the most important question. And another one, another perspective, another person's idea about what, what one goal do I want to accomplish in life? Like, what do I want to get done? When I turned 40, it's the first time this ever happened to me in my life, and it's the last time it happened to me in my life, at least to this point. Maybe it'll happen when I turn 50, I don't know. But 40 seemed really important to me for some reason. Like, I was turning 40, and I felt like I'm, I'm going to die. Like, tomorrow, i got to get done. What's God called me to do? i got to get this done. I, 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 I imagine, as we sit here and just talk about questions, you can think about the questions that seem important to you. And I don't want to take away from the fact that they are important but I want to encourage you to consider that they might be secondary or that they might be tertiary. See, we have this, this, this knack as humans for, for exalting secondary and tertiary issues to be primary, to making them the, 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 the main thing when really they fall under the thing that's supposed to be preeminent in our lives. And, and truly, if we would understand the most important questions and, and find the answers to the most important questions that we could ask, then all these other things would begin to fall into place. And see, it seems to me, as I studied this week, it seems to me that that's exactly what Luke is doing for Theophilus. He's seeking to help him understand and know so that he can be certain. And, and, and Luke is going to the source. He's saying, look, look, Theophilus, I am showing you, I am bearing witness to you of everything that has been said about Jesus by those who saw him with their own eyes and those who touched him and held him, even as a baby. The, the, the testimony has always been the same. You see, I, I think if, if we can learn from Luke... If we can learn from Luke, then we'll, we'll, we, will, we will be able to put into perspective those most important questions. Who is Jesus? Why is it so important that we know what Jesus has come to do? And what is it that he came to do? You see, the most important questions we can answer are those questions that revolve around who Jesus is, what he came to do, and then we understand why it's so important that we know. So when we begin believing these answers to these questions, it changes everything because the answers first change us. It changes everything because what we believe about Jesus determines what we do about everything else. Knowing Jesus and understanding who he is and what he's come to do, it changes how we act in every other situation. And, and it's only in believing the answers to these questions about Jesus that we're really made ready and able to answer the other questions of our life. You see, here's the thing is, 
I don't think it's wrong. I think it's actually a good and noble pursuit to figure out how to have a good marriage. I think it's a good and noble pursuit to seek to to be out of debt, to be a good parent. I, I think it's a good and noble pursuit to understand what your goals in life are so that you can give time to the right things. But I don't think we're ever going to be ready to answer those questions until we get these others taken care of. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do, and and why is it important that we know? And through the testimony of several witnesses, Luke shows us and answers these questions for Theophilus, and today, even now today, he answers them for us. So we're going to walk through three testimonies of, 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 of these witnesses as we walk through this passage of Scripture, starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. We'll actually make it through verse 38. If you read along. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. And we're going to stop right there. This this first testimony is the testimony of of Mary and Joseph. And not once did we hear them say anything. We're not not hearing a testimony in the the way that we typically think of it. We're we're seeing a testimony lived out in their actions. I mean, consider what's going on here. In, In this passage, verses 21 through 24, we begin to see Mary and Joseph living in, in specifically living in obedience. Why was it so important for them to circumcise Jesus? Why was it so important for them to name him Jesus? Why was it so important for them to follow the rituals and and the law that was laid out for them uh, by Moses that, that she would go to the temple, she would seek purification, she would offer a sacrifice for that purification. They would present Jesus as holy unto the Lord. Why would they be doing these things? The answer, I think, is that they believed who Jesus was. I mean, consider their circumstances. Think about the story. Mary and Joseph are two young people, probably 12, 13, 14 years old. They're engaged to be married. Joseph finds out his wife is pregnant, or his his fiance is pregnant. What do you think runs through his mind? Who have you been with? No, Mary, Mary knows what's going on, right? I mean, she had an angel show up to her. She had an angel stand in front of her and say, Mary, God's going to put a baby in your belly. She knows what's happening. She tells the story and that's hard to believe. Joseph is a nice guy and Joseph is going to put her away. He's going to end the engagement silently. He's not going to make a big deal about it. And he falls asleep one night and he has his dream and the angel shows up to him and says, no, Joseph, this baby's God. And here's where, their, here's where their, their visions, their angelic visions come together. Both of them were told to name him Jesus. Both of them were told that he had purpose, that he was important for God's plan of redemption and salvation. So now both of them, I mean, just the very fact that they're still a married couple, that they become a married couple, that they're at the temple together demonstrates that they believed in what they'd learned about Jesus. You see, what we believe about Jesus is always going to affect what we do. 
It's always going to affect how we live. It's the primary motive of everything else that we do. If, if we get this answer right, then, then we know what we do in light of that. And when it came time to name the baby, his eighth day, there's no question, are we going to circumcise this baby? Yes, because he belongs to the Lord. He's, gonna, he's, he's got to be under his covenant. He's got to, he's got to follow the law. So yes, they're going to circumcise him. And, and, and there was no discussion about his name. Remember John the Baptist when, when they came to circumcise him and everybody was asking questions about, hey, what are you going to name him? And they're like, hey, you ought to name him this. And There's no discussion here. We're going to name him Jesus. Why? Because they believe the angel's testimony about him. And we learn from Matthew speaking, the angel speaking to Joseph tells us what his name means because he's going to save his people from their sins. You see, they believed. They believed what was said about Jesus. And their life began to bear the the witness of that, began to bear testimony to that. And so even as he was eight days old, they circumcised him. Even at 40 days, it's the the law, it was the, the, the command of God. They're living in obedience to God. And they go into the temple and, and, and they, they show up to the temple and, and they've got a plan here. They're going to they're gonna follow the law to a T. They're going to go to the temple and, and Mary is part of the law that after 40 days after having a son, you would go to the temple and you would, you would present yourself for purification. The mother would present herself for purification and she would offer a sacrifice for that. A lamb and a turtle dove or a pigeon or if you're poor, two pigeons or two turtle doves. And they were poor. They were dirt poor. So they offer up the, the, the poor person's sacrifice so that they can live in obedience to God because they believe what they believe about Jesus. And so here they are at the temple. And then there's another thread running through here. You see, what they're doing also, it wasn't required for the baby to be at the temple with them to purify the mother. But they brought the baby, and, and, and look what it says. They were going to, uh, it's written in the law of the Lord. Every male who is first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. There was a requirement by God all the way back from the book of Exodus that every male child that was born uh, to, to a family, every firstborn male child belonged to God. And so they had an option. They could either redeem him and pay, a, pay a, another sacrifice. It was like five shekels. They could either redeem him or they could consecrate him. And it's thought that since they brought him that they were actually consecrating. They were committing Jesus to God's service. This is a huge, huge testimony of what they believed about Jesus. Because rather than redeeming him and saying, okay, well, well we're going we're gonna to remain his parents. We're gonna, they were like, no, he's, he's yours. Well, certainly they would raise him. Certainly he would still live with them. But they would know that there would come a time where he belonged to the Lord. And they believed. They, they did these things simply because they believed who Jesus was. They believed that Jesus had come to save his people. They believed the testimonies that they had heard. And, and because they believed, they obeyed. Listen, believing Jesus leads to a life of obedience to Jesus. We're always thinking about what's the right thing to do. What, what, what am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to do there? What's the, what's the right answer? 
if we'll start with faith in Christ, if we will start with trusting Jesus has come to save us, if we will start trusting in what he's come to do, then we'll know what to do. See, it's in, it's, it's in, it's in our obedience to him. And so many other things fit together as we are made able to see God's intended design. It's vital. It's vital how we relate to one another. It's vital how we relate to, to the circumstances of life. How did God intend it? How did God design it? What has God determined he's going to do? What has God called us to do? What has he commanded us as believers to do? It's here in, in obedience to him that we find freedom. The freedom that we long for. We were never created to be a people who rule ourselves. We were never created to be a people who get to, to write all our own rules, who get to do whatever we feel like doing. And, and the truth is, the more we try to do that, the, the harder we try to be our own gods, the worse it gets for us. You see, it's, it's difficult in this life. It's, it's hard for people to deal with this. And we think we are all the answers. And you turn on the television today, and everybody's got all the answers for you. You listen to the newscasters. They got the answers for you. How do we have peace? We make laws. How do we, how do we, how do we get happy? We buy stuff. How do we gain freedom? We live in a way that nobody can tell me what to do. That's a lie. See, it's in our obedience to him that we find the freedom we long for. If we're going to be the people God intended us to be, it starts with believing Jesus, and, 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 and which, which then leads to a life of obedience to Jesus. And it's here in obedience to him that we begin to know the joy and peace that he has for us. There's no better place. There's no better place that we can seek to live in to, than, than to be in obedience to all that God has commanded. He, he created us. He knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly how our lives were meant to be. I mean, just imagine, as, as you think about this year ahead of you, as you think about the year ahead of you, as you think about these questions of life that loom, how different would your life look if you could seek to obey Jesus in everything? Well, here's the risk. As I ask that question, I know there's a risk automatically. Because some of you are going to long to do that just simply obeying Jesus by your own power. If you want to obey Jesus, you need to believe Jesus. Believing leads to obeying. Learn Him. Study Him. Get to know Him. Look at the, look at the testimony of who He is what he came to do, and you will be, a, a desire will be built in you. Disobedience is, is not, a, not, not a lack of information. It's not a, a lack, of, a lack of, of, of ability. Well, it is lack of ability, but, but, it, but it's rooted in a lack of belief. You see, we do the things we do. The, we commit the sins we commit. We live for ourselves. We go our own way, not not simply because we don't have enough information. Not, not because we haven't been told who Jesus is, but because we don't fully believe in who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. 
Mary and Joseph obeyed because they believed. And that same belief will lead you to obedience. The second testimony we'll see is a testimony of a man. So Mary and Joseph, they come into the temple and, and things get weird. I mean, they just get strange. There's this moment where this guy walks up. Let's just read it. Let me pick up in verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man <coughs> whose name was, or there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, now I just want you to get this in your mind. Mary and Joseph are there to, to, to follow the law. They're there to obey God. They're, they're there to commit their lives in obedience to God because they believe what they believe about Jesus. And on their way into the temple, they're not, they're not too far in yet because Mary's only allowed to go so far because she's a woman and it's just the way the temple was laid out. They're not too far in, probably in the court of Gentiles. And they're in that court, there's, it's a big place and there's lots of people mingling around. And this guy walks up and he sees this baby being led by the Holy Spirit. He understands who this baby is. And, and I don't know if there's conversation or not. I don't know if he says something to them or not. And I don't even know if it's normal in this culture that a man just, strange man just walks up and picks up a baby. I know how that would be perceived here. I'll just tell you a story. I was at Silver Dollar City one time and we were walking through and there was this, there was this little boy that was walking with a spiral potato on a stick. Maybe you've heard this story. It's unfortunate that it happened, but it's true. So I looked at that little boy, and I was just saying, I was just being funny, I thought. And I was like, that's a nice-looking tater. That's pretty creepy. <laughs> right? See, here's the thing. We don't like strangers approaching our children. But it gets weird in this moment. I, I, I think, I, I would assume that a protective parent would... would would, would have some level of concern here. I mean, I knew it as soon as I said it. I took off. I was like, I was gone because I didn't want to get arrested at Silver Dollar City. I, I assume that this was a moment where there's this question that begins to loom in their mind. What, who is this? What is he doing? But he begins to speak. He blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. All the, all the things on my bucket list are complete. You can take me home. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So, so Mary and Joseph, I think, I think in this moment, he begins to speak, and Mary and Joseph move from a question probably, like, that's a little strange, this guy picked up our baby, and, and, and they begin to marvel. Simeon is this righteous and devout man. It means that God had seen him as sinless. It look, God looks at him and sees him as justified, that he's, he's forgiven of his sins. He's devout. Not only is he, not only has he been 
proclaimed righteous by God, but he's striving to live in a manner according to the call, in a, in a manner worthy of his calling. He's striving to live righteously. And, and he had received this vision. He had received this word from God, if you will. He had received this, this impression. I don't know. He just knew that he was going to see the Savior before he died. He knew it. He, he, the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. I don't know how that came to him. I don't know when it came to him. I don't know how long he'd been waiting. None of us do. But he knew, I'm going to see the Savior. I'm going to see the consolation of Israel. I'm going to see the one that's coming to save us. And being led by the Holy Spirit, he shows up. This is no coincidence. There's no chance meeting. It's not like it accidentally happened. God is orchestrating these events. Jesus and Mary and Joseph show up in the temple, and here's Simeon, and Simeon sees Jesus, and by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, understands exactly who Jesus is. And he believes it. He believes in Jesus. He believes, he believes him. He trusts him, and he begins to, to praise God because of him. I mean, he, this is just how, how serious he was. He looked at Jesus, and he's like, all right, take me. I'm done. Bring me on home. I'm ready to die. I've seen your salvation. I'm ready to die. I mean, there's a song. I, I don't, maybe you've heard it. I was thinking about it this week as I was thinking about Simeon. There's a song that says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Like, we don't want to deal with what comes because of our desire to go to heaven. We want the good stuff, but we don't want to walk through the stuff that takes to get there. But Simeon's like, hey, I'm, I'm all in. I've seen him. My bucket list is complete. Take me home. I've seen your salvation. He believes Jesus is God's salvation for the Israelites, but not just for the Israelites. What does he say? For all peoples. He's, he's going he's to reveal the glory of Israel through his life. He's going he's to bring revelation to the Gentiles. He praises God. And, and as the parents are hearing this, as Mary and Joseph are hearing this, they are blown away. And then... As he stops singing his praise, as he turns and he speaks to them, he says in verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your heart or through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, he turns and he, he stops praising God and he begins to speak to his parents and we get to see something else that Simeon believes about Jesus. We get to see how important it is, how imperative it is that we answer these questions. Many rise and fall on Jesus. There's some debate as to exactly what Simeon's pointing out here. I think what he's saying is that, that you're either going to be built on Jesus or you're going to be crushed by him. It's the idea that Peter picked it up from Isaiah and he wrote to the early church in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6, 6 through 8. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for those of you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. We're either going to be built on him or we're going to be crushed against him. We're going to be crushed by him. 
It's imperative that we answer these questions. There's no more important question that we can answer. There's no more imperative answer that we need to find. And Jesus, he goes on and shows us that Jesus is going to suffer. He's going to, he's going to be facing opposition. And we begin to get a glimpse of how deep his suffering is going to go when, when Simeon says specifically to Mary, a sword is going to pierce your heart also, your soul also. The work he's going to do is going to be difficult and it is going to be, it is going to, you're going to experience loss because Jesus is going to suffer. We begin to get a glimpse that Jesus didn't just come to, to, to step in and say, hey, I'm here and I'm going to rule now. He didn't just come in and take over. He came in to pay a price. He came in to suffer for us. He came in to stand and face opposition and fight a battle on our behalf. And that's the thing is that, that, that when we begin to get this, when we begin to understand what he did, that's where we're able to find gratitude. He came to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. He came to suffer so that we wouldn't have to. He came to face condemnation so that we, we could face justification. We could enjoy justification. He came to suffer. He's going to reveal what's in our hearts. So Jesus' life and his, his teaching, the work that He'd come to do is going to bear our souls. It's going to reveal the depths of our depravity. It's going to show the neediness that's within every one of us. By ourselves, we can't come up with enough answers to enough questions. Until we answer this question, what has he come to do? And why is it so important? He came to save. That's the, that's the theme of these witnesses. That's the theme of these testimonies. They named him Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. God saves. Simeon is so ecstatic. Simeon is so moved because he sees God's salvation. Why is this important? Because even when we don't want to admit it, there is a recognition that we need salvation. We can't do everything on our own. If we just stop and just be honest with ourselves for a moment, we stand in the light of Christ, we can't help but see how needy we are, how broken we are. We know that Simeon believed this. We know that he understood that he was, was sold out on it. Because instead of running in fear of the God who'd put on flesh to dwell among us, instead of running and hiding in fear, he held him in his arms and he praised God. Believing Jesus leads to a life of praising Jesus. It's believing and trusting that Jesus is our hope that our fear of God in light of the depths of our depravity our, our fear is turned to awe. There's no reason to quake anymore. There's no reason to hide from Him. There's no reason to run afraid. He's come and He has sent one who came to save Jew and Gentile. And, and brothers and sisters, that's us. We should be ecstatic about this. Our, our hope is that Jesus didn't just come to save a nation. He came to save 
peoples from all nations. We wouldn't have a chance if it weren't for him. It's believing and trusting that by believing Jesus that we can be built on him rather than crushed by him. This is how we, how we move from being uh, under the stone to being built upon it. It's by faith. It's by believing Jesus is God's salvation that we find everything and everyone falls or rises on what they do with Jesus. See, the truth is, this is the most important question we can answer. What are we doing with Jesus? What do we believe about Jesus? Because everyone rises or falls on this. We see Simeon believing. We see Mary and Joseph believing. And the testimony that they've given as they're standing there holding him in their hands. I mean, he's just a baby for crying out loud, but Simeon is sold out. He knows this. Knows it so, so, so completely, so confidently that he's ready to die. But as Mary and Joseph are there marveling, as Simeon is praising and prophesying, the world hasn't stopped. There's people all around them. And a woman named Anna sees. Let's read what happens in verse 36. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak, to, speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So here we have this woman, Anna, who's known as a prophetess, who's, who's at the temple regularly. She's an old woman. She's, she's 84 years old. She, she had been married for seven years and spent the rest of her time uh, from, from, from the death of her husband. She spent that time in the temple fasting and praying. We don't, we don't know whether she lived there or not, whether she had like some, some place, some lodging inside the temple, but, but she was there day and night regularly. She was a part of what was going on in the temple. She was there fasting and praying. And when Simeon begins to prophesy, when Simeon begins to praise, and, and Mary and Joseph are in awe, she is moved. And what does it say she does? She began to give thanks. Why did she give thanks? Because she believed what was being said about Jesus. Gratitude is this, gra gratitude is this thing that's driven out of this idea of being content. Like we're really grateful for things when we, when we recognize we're not in need of anything else. The grateful people recognize that, they have been, that their needs have been met, that their needs have been satisfied. And people who are constantly asking for more, constantly longing for something else. It's nearly impossible for us to feel grateful because, because we don't think we have enough. But she began to give thanks. And what else did she do? She began to speak to everyone about what he, who he was. She began to talk about Jesus. So believing in Jesus leads to a life of telling others about Jesus. It leads to a life 
proclaiming his goodness, proclaiming his glory, proclaiming what it is that he came to do, proclaiming how important it is that others understand this, and proclaiming who it is that's come and put on flesh. The truth is, is that these testimonies, these, these people believe this. They saw it with their own eyes. They, they experienced it in their, their own time. And, and Luke is good enough to give us another witness. I mean, he gives us this, he witnesses it himself. He speaks to them and he hears their testimonies. And he records them so that even today, you and I can know. You and I can know. And we can answer the questions. Who is Jesus? It's God's plan for salvation. And in front of Jesus, your heart is going to be bared and you're going to find yourself a sinner. But you don't have to quake in fear. All you do is have to believe in Jesus. Trust Him for your salvation. And as you begin to believe in Him, you, like Mary and Joseph, you're going to have a desire that grows in you to live in obedience to Him. You're going to see wisdom in obedience, and you're going, to, you're going to find freedom in obedience. You're going to find joy and satisfaction in obedience. It's no longer going to be a have to do this. It's going to be a get to do this. It's no longer going to be something that's a burden to carry. But it's going to be the desire that, that's rooted in our hearts. It's going to be the thing that, that, that by our motive in Christ, by believing in Him, will be the thing that we long to do. By believing in Him. We find that we want to praise Him. We want to worship Him. We find that we're grateful for the the things that He's done. We're grateful because we recognize the price that He paid, the the, the work that He did on our behalf. See, it's all rooted in believing in Jesus. Believing in who He is. Believing in what He's done. Believing that this is the most imperative question you can answer, the most important question that we can answer. Let me just ask you as, you, as you think about this year ahead of you, as you think about the decisions you're facing today, what do you believe about Jesus? Let that faith lead you in what you do next. And see, if you believe in Him, it will. If you believe in Him, it'll make everything else different. It will change everything because it will change you. If you believe in Him, everything else will fall in place. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for your word, your, your, your testimony, you working, showing us who you are through your son making yourself known, making your work known, making, making uh, us able to see you, to know you, and to walk in relationship with you. Father, I pray today. I pray today that you would speak. I'm up here with medicine head and just struggling but believing that you are able to reveal your truth. So I ask that you do that.
Father, I, I pray for those of, of us that, that have come to believe that have been changed, that you would show us those places that we don't believe fully, those things that we're looking to, that we're propping up above your son, thinking that if we just get those right, then everything will be okay. Help us believe that in your son, that's where we're okay. Father, if there's one here today that's never trusted you, that doesn't know you, I pray that your spirit lead them to know. Lead them to believe that Jesus has come to save. That Jesus is your son. That Jesus is your plan. That Jesus is your way. That when we get him right, everything else falls into place. Would you help us know that? Help us believe it. That we might praise you. That we might obey you. And that we might be telling others about you. So all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.